Coach Gandy, welcome to the podcast this morning. Coach, I appreciate this uh, great opportunity. You know, I've been connected with you uh, through Twitter and just following you for the past year or so. Uh, it's an exciting opportunity to be asked to be on your podcast. Yeah, Coach, absolutely. And I, I messed up already. I, I messed up a lot. It's, it's not morning, it's afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Close. <laughs> I think coronavirus has jacked everybody. You know, our, our days, we don't know the days. They all seem to run together because you're home or you're in the office or you can't really go anywhere. So you, there's no distinction like, hey, on Saturday, we're going to a birthday party. It's just all, you know, one type, one day, one week type thing. So, yeah. Coach, for the, for the listeners, describe yourself. Give us some background, um, where you are, what you do. Uh, and the show is yours. Okay. Well, a little bit about, you know, Fred Gandy, um, head football coach at Joliet Central High School. So we're in Joliet, Illinois, we're about 40 minutes uh, southwest of Chicago. So we're, you know, surrounding uh, Collar County to Chicago uh, area. I grew up in the inner city of Chicago, the Inglewood neighborhood, um, played ball, had an opportunity to go over to St. Rita High School, um, Played there two years. Uh, we moved from the inner city to Harvey, Illinois, where I went to Thornton, uh, home of some, some great NFL players, Antoine Rendell, Ty Street, Napoleon Harris. Um, the list goes on and on. So played there for two years for Coach Moselle, which was a great opportunity for me to learn so much uh, from him. He really is the one that inspired me to be able to uh, get into coaching. Um, then from there, I went to University of St. Francis in Joliet. That's how I landed in Joliet. I played ball there for four years, came there as a linebacker. Um, one of those situations, coach had us over in the summer to eat steaks. And, I, you know, defensive players always want the glory. Hey, coach, when you go let me score a touchdown? We had a lot of fullbacks and running backs to go down that year. And, hey, my number was called. It was like, hey, go up to the offensive room, you know, go upstairs to the boardroom. I said, that's the offensive meeting. They said, well, you, you about to play a little bit of offense. And it was a great move for me. I was able to play, you know, three years of fullback over there. Um, great experience. Love my time there. I met my best friend, met my spouse over there. So it was a, a great experience. Been working. I went to corporate America right after that. Still coach, coach youth football. Wanted to be around the game, be able to give back. Didn't have the schedule to be able to coach at the high school level. Uh, coach youth football for about four years. Had opportunity when I switched over there. I'm currently at Lewis University. So I don't work necessarily in the school, which makes it a little bit difficult to build that community, build that team that culture that you're looking for to be able to call kids out of class and say, hey, what's going on? Or why are you not attending class? So just build that, that relationship. So I have to be super intentional with my guys with the time that I have because I'm not in building. And I have to really rely <clears throat> on my um, my assistant coaches. So, um, but like I said, I worked at Lewis and kind of went over, had an opportunity to coach at Joliet, was there for four, five years, took a three-year leave because I wanted to pursue uh, my doctorate degree. I finished class, worked on that two years, a year ago. Uh, the opportunity came open. I was still volunteering there, so, you know, just wanted to be around the game, be around the guys. I was there on Friday in the booth for the defensive coordinator because uh, we was always on the same page uh, when I was coaching with them, uh, be able to break the film down. And then the opportunity came up where I applied for the position. I was encouraged by a couple people and, you know, never thought I'd get the position. And here we are a year later, so I got hired as a head football coach in 2019, March of 2019. So, I've been doing that for over a year, learn a lot of things as an assistant. You just do your thing. You're in charge of your side of the ball, your position. Um, but then when you're in charge of everybody and their side of the ball and their position, it becomes you don't know how much work it is uh, being a head coach. And then you admire those head coaches that you know that do it well um, because of the things that they, they had the opportunity to do and kind of build into you. Um, I'm, I'm trying to pull off all those head coaches that I was around and be able to connect with other head coaches like yourself. Um, to learn, to kind of close that learning curve that I have as a first-time head coach. So, and now we are, you know, year one, we were one and eight. 
Uh, we won our first game week eight, which is a great experience for us, electric atmosphere. So hopefully we can continue to build on that. We were young as a team last year, so we got a lot coming back. Uh, you know, COVID happened, so we, we lost a lot of that time um, in the offseason when you build that culture, when you build that, you know, that toughness and the tenacity that's one and still in your team. So we're just once our governor opens us up back up, hopefully we can get back with our guys and, and you know, hit the ground running and, and try to get ready for this 2020 season. So that's kind of who I am in a nutshell and, and kind of how what brought me here to your show today. Yeah, Coach, when you when I reached out to you, we were talking about um, like our programs and how we haven't been super successful wins and losses. And so I'm not, I'm not worried about that. Um, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not concerned about, you know, what somebody's be wins and loss record. It's we're trying to affect kids lives. And I agree. That's, that's, that's the ticket coach. Talk a little bit about, um, you know, your, your program philosophy. How do you build your program? Um, what are things you believe in that you want to really, really emphasize for your guys? Well, we want to create that culture. Um, and, and I think that culture is different for everybody. So we want to, you know, we want to be first class in everything we do, uh, starting with the classroom. I think for me, being an educator, um, being a lifelong learner, that's the most important thing. And, and I know, Coach, when you get other coaches from the collegiate level come in, they don't want to see a huddle film. They want to see transcripts and, and what that GPA is. So we we preach academics first because football is going to come and go. Only 1% make it to the next level after college. But use that opportunity to be able to go to the next level to kind of change the the outcome of where you want to be. We, we deal with a lot of first-generation college students that are in our district. So we really want to show them, you know, how you can use and bridge that success from in, in the classroom to how that looks for you. You can change, the, you know, the outcome for you. And, and your family. I'm one of those. I was a first-generation college student. Um, one of those opportunities with my mom, she really didn't know the college process. I picked the school just because I went there and the cafeteria was good, but I had a great, <laughs> I had a great experience and it fit me, um, but it wasn't like I could call back home and say, you know, I have these three schools. She was just like, make the, you know, whatever decision. I, you know, I was a nursing major first going there, and the only reason I picked nursing is because they say male nurses make a lot of money and get a job, right? Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't necessarily, I didn't have anybody to bounce those ideas of. It was just that opportunity. What, what can I make more money on? Because, you know, growing low income, growing up that way, that's what you, you go to college to try to change that. So that's what I was looking for. So we want to, you know, start off with just building that, that program and that culture within the classroom. We want to be a family. I know a lot of people preach that, but I, I truly believe in that. I think about the friendships and the relationships that I have currently all came from athletics. So we want to be able to foster that environment within our team that, that supports that. You know, I think about the interview process. Um, one of the things that I talked about as a head coach, I want to, I know I was successful if I get invited back to guys' weddings, right? So I remember my high school coach, I invited him to my wedding. That means you, you really, a wedding is the most intimate thing that you can have. Um, and, and during that opportunity, if you can, you share that with people you love. So I want to be that coach that people call back and say, hey coach, you know, I'm getting married in August. I want you to, you know, you to be there. So that's one of the things that we really try to uh, focus on is building that family. We want to be tough. We want to be gritty. Um, we, we come from an area where we got to be gritty and understand um, what that means to succeed in life and teaching those life lessons. You think about, Coach, I'm sure you, you pull back on all types of things that you've learned over the years through athletics, and those are the things that we're trying to instill in our program. So we want to be tough. We want to be academic-focused. Um, and we want to be that family. So that's kind of what we decide to build our, our, our thing on, right? So build a successful program, right, through leadership skills on and off the field. And we preach all the time, be a good citizen. 
Um, any kid in our program, what's Coach Gandy's number one saying? Be a good citizen. And that's everywhere, on the field, in the community, to your parents, to your teachers. We want to be a good citizen everywhere. And I think those are the things, if you, you teach and look at what the profile model is of a good citizen, those are the things that will help you be successful down the road in life. So that's kind of my philosophy in regards to just overall building a culture that we, we want to look for. Coach, and this is this be your second year, right, going into the season? Correct, yep, second year. Yeah. I, I know it's from being a head coach, the second year is, I think, where you make a lot of your lot of your gains, you know? Yeah, because I think the, the interview process for a high school coach is backwards, right? So you would think about that they would make people announce right after the season, but you got to go through district board approval. You got to go through all the interview process, two, three interviews on campus, off campus. So you really don't get – hired into like March or April, at least in Illinois, <clears throat> and even later, depending on what budget cycle looks like and things like that, or when people announce that they got another job, because the person who you replace might get a, a, you know, be interviewing as well, so then that slows the process down, so you're really hitting that first year, hitting the ground running, right, so you, you, you're coming in, you're trying to install what your strength and conditioning program is in April, so you really get two months left of school before you get to summer camp, and that way, you're trying to install, you're hiring assistants, because some people stay some people leave. So you, you really scrambling. So I think for me, I lost the fact of what I was trying to instill. And, and I told my coaches and players this too, that um, I lost what I ran kind of almost my, you know, my coaching campaign on because you try to, you, you so busy uh, doing the X's and O's. I had a, you know, we had a full staff going into the summer. One coach uh, switched position, you know, switched job so he can no longer be on the field I was coming into the season being an offensive coordinator he switched jobs I had to take the defensive side we had a DB coach leave a day before summer camp starts so you're scrambling trying to find those guys and replace it and yet you still got to put a practice plan together so you know hopefully you know and then so you, you do the first year you know I forgot we were in, going into August, and they was like, hey, coach, what are our decals going to be? Decals? Oh, I forgot, you know, so you go back and it's still <laughs> – you, you yeah. lose the little things that you're supposed to really be focusing on. So now going into year two, you get a little bit of wraps on it. You know what that season looks like. You hopefully can hire your, your you know, your replacements. Like we hired an offensive coordinator that's coming in. We hired him early right after the high school season ended. Um, so he's been with our kids in the off season. He's been doing a little bit of installing, so getting to know our kids. So we we doing those things year two, and then you know this is just an anomaly because COVID happened. So you lose kind of that that off season uh, work that we was talking about. But yeah, hopefully we can see a little bit of gains year two. Excited about what we got coming back um, once we can be able to get on the field. So, coach, talk about your offense philosophy, defense philosophy a little bit. So how does that go with your overall program philosophy? Um, I'm a defensive guy, so I'm a 4-2-5 guy. Um, I like to be able to have the opportunity to go two high safeties, um, but also give you an eight-man front when we want to stop the run. That's the number one thing I'm preaching uh, defensively is be able to stop the run. Um, and I think everybody's talking about, well, how do you deal with the spread? Most teams, what do they do, coach, to spread out to run the ball? So we want to be able to be able to handle the inside runs and things like that. And then we have, we handle the backside. Um, if I have the, the secondary, I like to be a lot of uh, zero man covers. Um, I can get aggressive and try to give you, you know, five and six man pressure. So that's kind of who I am defensively. And that kind of our culture, you know, being that toughness, that gritty, being able to get after people and, and, and you know, just making our offensive coordinator a little bit uncomfortable if we can. 
uh, offensively, um, I, I believe, you know, I, I turned it over to my offensive coordinator. I grew up at, in the high school at the level of option, so we were triple. We ran it really, really well. We ran it out of spread. I think we were probably one of the first schools in the area, you know, back in 90, what was it, 99 and 2000, to kind of run spread but run triple. But we were a true, you know, veer dive option uh, team. I like those principles, but I know we have to change times um, to kind of relate to what we have. You know, they don't our, – our players don't see um, – triple option being sexy so we gotta you know you they see everything being spread and up tempo um but i two things i firmly believe in have sets that have a fullback we don't have to be 100 percent fullback um and i believe in having tight ends and having multiple tight ends and i'm a big motion guy so I, when interviewing offensive coordinators those are the three kind of things that can we get in a position where it's third and one we put a fullback in with a double tight set and get the first down um, I want to be able to not necessarily be run heavy. We got to, you know, whatever our opponent gives us, but I want to emphasize the steal our wheel on a run, in a run game. And that, again, goes back to that culture building, being tough uh, and being able to get after people and, and, like I said, impose our will up front. Um, so those are kind of two of my philosophies, uh, offensively and defensively. And hopefully this year we can really – you can see that when we put that product out on the field. In, in Illinois, when can you all get back to work with your players? Man, that's the that is the question. They were supposed to meet on Friday because we just moved. We were, I think, we were one of the only states to uh, kind of really follow those guidelines where you're starting to see a trend, a downward trend of, of positivity rates. So we just opened up Friday um, to be able to go to phase three, and that's gatherings of no more than ten. Um, you can have some camp like little league baseball started over the weekend. You know, you got to be creative in your practices, but we all. As head coaches in the area, uh, we are definitely waiting to hear what the ISHA they saw that we meeting yesterday. It kind of got postponed. I think they're supposed to make the decision this week. But we also, you know, even if the ISHA comes out, that's our, you know, our governing body, we still have to get district approval. Um, so we're trying to figure out if we don't get district approval, if we don't get ISHA approval, what that looks like. So we just submitted our plan to our athletic director. Uh, it was due today what a virtual camp would look like. So June 15th through the 26th were virtual camp will look like a lot of Zoom meetings, Google Classroom, and then I'm working on a plan that if we still in phase three, um, how do we, which is no gatherings of more than 10, how do you kind of alleviate being able to practice? So we, you know, we'll go multiple times a day, do, you know, uh, position specific stuff, um, break people out. We got a lot of grass areas, so we can, we can still do groups of 10 or groups of eight with two coaches and then do a two hour rotation period. So never coming together as a team, but being able to, to lift and, in condition and, and do running back drills and linebacker drills and DB drills um, so that we still get those fundamental aspects until we can come back. We hope in August 1 uh, or July 1 we can come back as a team because for, for Illinois phase four gives you you can have gatherings of 50 people so then that way we can be able to have, you know host a, a JV practice in the morning and then a varsity practice in the afternoon or vice versa. So we that's where we are. We just you know patiently waiting for um, ISHA to come back and say you know what the rules look like so yeah up here in west here in west virginia we i guess on monday we can get in groups of 10 but you still have to be socially distanced and our guidelines right now say we have to be socially distanced all the way through july so like mm -hmm. i mean we're i can't really even install anything <laughs> so, you, can't, you know unless you got a big blow up screen and you put it out and everybody sits you know throughout the field and that's one of the things we thought about. Do we bring a computer out? You put, you know, 10 in the left end zone, 10 in the right end, you know, that type of thing and have a big blow up screen. And then you can kind of do installs. You never come more than, you know, because they say you have to be within 30 feet apart. 
Um, so just doing multiple sections and, and do installs through a, a microphone system. So I think this COVID is making us in all aspects, both our work aspect with e-learning and also in, in coaching, we got to be creative in how we can reach our kids. And that's where, you know, I, whoever thought we would be doing an install through a computer screen or a coach doing, you know, offensive line drills with his son holding a bag like that's, but that's where we at. And that's what we got to do if you want to be successful. So, yeah. Coach, you're right because you, yeah, I think you're you're the you're the second doctor I've had on the podcast. Uh, but, uh, future, future, future there. doctor. Yeah. Uh, Coach, talk about you know your your research topic for your doctorate because this is something we talk we've texted about, and um, I'm 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 blown away. I was like I didn't I didn't realize you know it was something that people were researching. I mean, much needed, but Coach, I would just love you to talk about that and and um, just expound on it. Definitely. So then and, and you kind of hit the, the nail on the head, like um, people aren't researching it. So that's why for me, um, it was it was very important uh, for me to be able to provide this research and hopefully continue to research what what I'm looking in. And this is kind of the short version. I think dissertations have these very long titles for no reason is just to say two words. But the short version is I'm looking at the glass ceiling effect on black males um, in education through leadership. Right. So basically how high can black males go in the rankings of education and how is the system set up for them to be successful in that higher ranking or even get to that point. And in a lot of what I'm looking at is like superintendents, you know, superintendents of K through 12 setting versus um, presidents of the university. Mm-hmm. And then looking at those cabinet positions. So if you look at K through 12, you have assistant superintendents, you have, um, and that could be multiple positions. So it could be assistant superintendent of finance, curriculum, activities, et cetera. And then you have principals. So those are the three levels that I'm looking at. And then at the higher education level, I'm looking at um, presidents. So, you know, if you could be a president, the ultimate CEO of a pretty much, you know, schools or, or a corporation. Um, and then we're looking at vice presidents and then the provost. With the provosts will be kind of like in a superintendent of curriculum, right? So it's the, the head academic person. So those are the three things that I'm looking at. And I'm kind of looking at that through education. Um, so just like how, what is the opportunity uh, for black males to see? Um, you know, there's a lot of research out there. One of the, my theories that I'm looking at is critical race theory, which was, you know, rooted in law and it kind of started back in the 90s. Um, and then it just progressed. So, you know, it looks at kind of law and, you know, systems and how it is set up for minorities to be able to succeed, succeed or not. Um, looking at, you know, K through 12, a lot of times when you think about a coach, like, we become who we see, right? So if I live in an environment, right? So you, you look at African-Americans, what do we see? We see a lot of athletes, you see a lot of rappers, we see a lot of, you see doctors and things like that. But it's, when you look at the statistics, like there's only 1.9% black male teachers in K through 12, right? So I see your face, right? So oh my you, gosh. When you, but when you, when, when you think of that, so, and you can ask multiple people, unless you grew up in like a predominantly black, school you don't necessarily see but you might see black female teachers you don't see black males so even growing up we don't even think about that as being an opportunity as a a career because we don't see it um and that's that social racial formation so you know just looking at that and and looking at the graduation rates and how we can you know what systems we can put in place um to help our black males to be able to uh, persist into college and then persist through because the biggest dropout rate so we get to college uh, as black males, and then from that first year to that second year, the the retention rate drops. And a lot of, you know, there's a lot of factors. It could be financial, things happening back home, um, 
um, we struggled academically because we wasn't necessarily prepared to be at the collegiate level. So it's multiple things that we can kind of look at um, and what those success factors are. And then I do what, what we call like interviews, uh, structured interviews, where I interview leaders who have made it these positions, superintendent, assistant superintendent, presidents, vice presidents, and look at what that experience was. So one, what is the experience like being in this position, but how was it being and you know, making it to that level. We see a lot of times, especially in higher education, they call it like the glass cliff, right? So you got the glass ceiling, how high can you go? But as you start to move up to the rankings, you start to become pigeonholed into certain positions like chief diversity officers or, or you know, you don't necessarily move up into the faculty ranks. So you're not a dean, you're not a chair. So you don't get into a development job. There's not a lot of black males that are development officers, which is one of the, the key components of becoming a president being able to raise money so you start to see yourself moving up but then you hit that ceiling and maybe a vice president because you don't have the necessarily experience um, to make it to that next level so just looking at all those aspects on how we can um, not necessarily ease the path but just give examples and give research to show like if this is the career that you chose you choose these are the things that you need to do and one of the things that i want to get out of this is kind of a mentor program so i work at a predominantly white institution now and just being able to be able to mentor you know other uh black male staff that is coming into the the ranks and how what how you navigate the system and what are some things you should get involved in and kind of build your resume that type of thing. So that's the kind of the long-winded answer of what, you know, I want to research and how I think that that can get back to our black males across the country and also black females too. So. Yeah. I, I was, I saw on Twitter, somebody posted a, like a statement saying, I think, a, I guess a question, like uh, when was your first black teacher and coach, I didn't have one till college. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And it's just like, mm -hmm. unless I, I saw that question and then in my mind, like I'm, I don't even, you know, I didn't think about that. And mm -hmm. That's just, it's just amazing. Like it, you said, one, what was your stat coach? 1.8%? 1.9% are black male teachers. And I, I don't quote, I, you can kind of quote me on that, but because I just, I wrote a paper about a year or so ago, so it might've gone up since then. Um, but yeah, it's like 1.9 black, uh, black male teachers across the country. So when you think about it, it's just access. I, you know, I've had, I had, I grew up in the inner city of Chicago, which is predominantly black and Hispanic and um, in our area where I grew up and I didn't have, a black teacher until I had female teachers like eighth, seven and eighth grade because I often ask myself that question. And then when I got in high school, um, so yeah. And then at the collegiate level, I'm trying to think I had a black female teacher and one black male teacher in my four years, four and a half years at the collegiate level. So it's just it's not one of those professions that we necessarily think about going into um, because it, and, and I don't know what that reason is. And that's one of the things that I want to kind of research and see, you know, I can make some guesstimates and this is, you know, just for again, he kind of guesstimating, right. It takes a while to make a little bit of financial means in education if you do. Right. So, um, it has to be something that's near and dear to your heart, um, to be able to go into knowing that, you know, how many reports do we hear first year, second year teachers that work two or three jobs to be able to, you know, they work full time as a teacher and then they have to, be a you know, waitress or do whatever in the evening, Uber Eats, in order to you know, supplement their income to be able to succeed. So I think that might be the reason. I don't know. That's just, you know, Fred Gandy speculating. Um, but I think, you know, that's what I hope to find in my research. Why aren't we going into education? Coach, do you see any correlation with also like coaches as well in the high school level? Um, like with, like, like there not being as many black coaches? 
That man, I, I so I had an eternal battle about. So I had to submit my topic. I wrote chapters one. I'm writing chapters two now um, for my proposal. And that that was I was wanted to switch because when you start to go to like think about if you go to like a glacier clinic, right? I went to the head coaches academy um, up in Cincinnati uh, in February before COVID hit, and just to look around the room, like it's it's not a lot. But I think you see that at the collegiate level. Um, and then you definitely see it in the NFL, you know, coaches have been speaking of, so you've seen it at all levels. Um, and, I, and I don't know, if, you know, what the reason behind, I would love to do some research, maybe a follow-up article after I'm done with my dissertation to kind of look in and dive in. Sean Harper out of USC did a really good study about black athletes and, and that graduation rate. So you get a full year, four year ride and not necessarily being able to graduate. So he does a lot of work around athletics to so definitely be able to maybe partner with him one day um, and, and look at that. But I think you definitely see the correlation um, because if you only, you think about it, one of the, in most districts, they want you to be in building, right? So if you only have 1.9% black male teachers, then that's not going to correlate to black head coaches. So, but yeah, again, I, that, that's just me speculating, but you know, I think that, 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 and that's something that's not necessarily researched a lot too. So that'd be a great opportunity for somebody to be able to research that and see you know, again, what that success path looks like and how we can offer new research to show that, you know, how we can help bridge that gap. So. I mean, I think about growing up, I went to a, a private Christian school in, um, in Florida. And I mean, most of those were founded because people wanted to resegregate schools. And, you know, I, I, I didn't know that until a couple of years ago and it totally blew my mind. Like I can't, like really people do that, you know, like that's something that's yeah. blew my mind. Well, that, you think about it when the, when Brown versus the Board of Education happened, that's when you started to see what they call like the white flight, right? So most of your inner cities were, you know, they were segregated, but it was, you had white, you had black, you had Hispanic, and then the decision came up that we were going to intermingle um, races, and then you started to see um, white families start going to the suburbs. So then what happens is, I was just talking to some buddies on a, a FaceTime call, we were arguing this afternoon, um, just so you start to see families start moving to the suburbs. Well, with that comes the resources, right? So then you start taking, because most of education is based off of tax dollars. So when you start moving those resources out of the community, then that's when you started to see um, some of the decline in the education in the, in the city. So I think that's, you know, again, that's something to definitely look at it and kind of take, you know, how those schools, a lot of Catholic Christian schools, like you said, was to resegregate. Um, you put a price tag on something that you can't necessarily afford um, to create access. So you have to go to your local public school versus the, the Catholic school. So I think um, the, you, you hit it on the head that you start to see why these schools are necessarily created and why certain programs were created. And I think a lot of programs were created to help succeed and kind of bridge the gap. And, you know, how, how have we bridged that gap over the years? Mm -hmm. Coach, as we, as we land this, uh, this plane, what are some steps that we can take as a society to more integrate schools? Uh, what are some things that we can do going forward? Oh, coach, that's a, that's a difficult one. And he, and again, these are no representations of any institution. This is just Fred Gaining kind of thinking off the top of his head. Um, I think we have to offer access, um, equal access. So uh, what we spend per people at the, at certain schools, make it, you know, across the board. Um, I think we have to really identify and try to pull um, great teachers back to, to kind of help bridge that gap. 
um, and, and that comes with pay, right? So certain yes, districts make more money than uh, other districts. So how do we, we kind of bridge the cap? I think a lot of it deals with, you know, we, we look at academics, uh, we look at access, and then we look at economics. So I think if you can find solutions in all three of those areas, then I think you can kind of help to bridge the gap as we start to uh, talk about, you know, there's a, I'm sure a lot of people have seen a lot of pictures, especially lately in society that talks about equity versus equality, right? So, you know, things can be equal, but it also like how equitable is it for us to be able to attain that? So I think those are the things that we have to necessarily think about. We got to think about there's, you know, this term out there, the school of prison pipeline, right? So how do we break that? How do we start to lower the numbers of black and brown children that are being suspended and into detention, right? So all those days that they spent in detention or suspension, they're not learning. So how do we 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 navigate these it not necessarily issues but obviously barriers that might be in place for people to succeed and again that's you know that's me talking that's not necessarily a reflection of anything that's just what i've seen um through my research the last four or five years because you're a very wise man i i'm learning i'm learning a ton <laughs> in our conversation my goodness i hope so yeah uh coach where can people find you on twitter where where, where are you at I'm um so a lot of I I don't my personal got closed. Um, I'm trying to rework it. I don't know how. I think it was just lack of uses because as I took over, we started. Um, but you can follow our program through Steelman S T E E L M A M E N F B. You know, uh, on Twitter, so you can follow our team. I'm working to get my Twitter back. Once I get it, I'll shoot that back to you, um, okay. and then we can put that out there. But yeah, I think I need. That's one of the things that I fail at especially last year was you know having that social media presence um but i think being able to follow coaches like yourself and, and various coaches around the country i follow them through our, our football account but having my own account but you learn so much especially in, in the times that we have people are i didn't realize how open the coaching community is to if you know shoots them on a message say hey you talked about you know your practice plan you mind sharing it and how open people are uh to being able to share versus things so i definitely need to increase my presence on social media so awesome coach coach thank you for coming on i really appreciate it. this has been very educational i appreciate it thanks for having me um stay safe stay well hopefully we can you know i know we all praying as coaches to be able to get back on the field with our kids and, and being able to you know transform their lives i know i missed that interaction of being able to hug and high five and laugh and learn what the new music is so hopefully we get that back soon as coaches we need that to kind of fuel our soul absolutely coach you are you're a good man, Coach. I appreciate you. I appreciate it. Thanks, Coach.